it's proven that education can break poverty mm-hmm. cycles. Mm-hmm. The problem is it then starts stifling the ability to think like an entrepreneur. And that takes a different kind of skills. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Welcome back, Migrant Wealth listeners. Today, we have the pleasure to talk to Weena Jerry. Weena, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Weena, how was, did you avoid the the ice in the Dallas area? I actually, I got caught in it because I was supposed to get on a plane to go to Salt Lake City. I was speaking at a conference there Uh, and I was giving a keynote speech and I went to the airport in the morning and they kept delaying, kept delaying. I spent like eight hours at the airport and then they canceled my flight right as we were about to board because the crew timed out. Wow. <laughs> they like cleared the weather, but the crew timed oh, out. So you ended so up not going to the conference? I, I didn't. I couldn't get out then for two more. I was supposed to leave right. on a Tuesday. I couldn't get out till a Friday. And I was supposed to speak Thursday night oh, that's and insane. Friday morning. So I would have missed everything. So I was like, oh, okay, you know what? It's a good excuse for me to like stay home and hang out yeah. with the babies. And so I wasn't too mad. I was more worried the day before I was flying back home from right. Phoenix. I spoke at a conference there. Uh-huh. And so I was only going to be home for like 12 hours. Ooh. I'm like on I'm on the plane in Phoenix and they're starting to delay us because of the weather. Right. And I was like, oh, you're if not going to be stuck in Phoenix. Hours. Yeah, I would have been so upset if I had gotten stuck there. That's um, true. But That's the good true. news, I made it home. I got stuck at home, got to hang out with the family. So That's awesome. Know, when you say babies, do you, how old are your babies? Exactly. I have twin three and a half year old daughters. Oh, my God. Three yes. and a half years old. Yes. Oh, yes. Beautiful age. My girls are seven and nine. Yes. I, I wish they were three and four. I love the toddler phase. Yeah. I didn't really like the newborn phase that much because I was like, oh, you just like take and take and take. And now they're like these little people and they're so funny oh, and they like yeah. think of things. And I'm like, where did you learn that? Where did you learn that? Yeah. yeah. And so that's the game we play in our house every day is where did you learn this? That's perfect. <laughs> this? That's <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. Well, Weena, are you going to be at BC? Are you coming over? I am. So I'm actually judging I'm see the pitch slam. You oh, you're going to be there. Not. I'm going to yes, be there. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm one of the judges for the pitch slam competition. Oh, that I'm would excited. be awesome. Those are amazing. Those yes. are always amazing. I'm so excited about that. I've never judged the pitch slam before. And they asked me this year. Joe called me and asked me this year. It would be awesome. I'm It'd so awesome. excited. I'm yeah. so excited. Well, let's get back into this podcast because yes. we'll have tons of catch up anyways, and we'll catch up <laughs> at, at DEC. So yes, for sure. We you know what we start the show always is we're more interested in hearing people's stories, right? Kind of like the, as you and I were talking off, off here before we got on that mechanics is easier, right? Mechanics, yeah. I can give you a slight deck of 10 steps right. that you need to do. Right. And everyone's going to be, everyone's steps are going to be similar. Not a whole right. lot. It's really where the stories, right? Because a lot of the folks that are audiences, first and second, first and second generation immigrants, yeah. as you know, being one of those, your second yeah. generation, we were talking yeah. about it. It's really the hard work and the loyalty towards work is great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what we're trying to figure out, what we're trying to inspire them is really to try to tease out stories where they could do what's beyond nine to five. Mm-hmm. A life of dream, a life of passion, a life of something yeah. that you love. Doesn't mean you hate your W-2. You may love a W-2, but that doesn't mean you can't do something different, right? So with that context in mind, I would yeah. love to hear your migration story. 
Yeah. So I am a large multifamily owner operator. I've transacted on just over $900 million of assets in my personal portfolio. But before that, I did have the W-2. I started Mm -hmm. in corporate America. Um, I actually was at a real estate company when I first started working out. I, you know, I got my degree from college in finance. I went to the University of Illinois in Chicago, got my degree in finance. I was 20 years old when I graduated. So I was really young, but I really, that's not actually, and I went to work for these corporate companies, but Mm -hmm. that's not where I got my start in real estate. I actually got my start in real estate much earlier than that through my mom. So my parents are immigrants. They came from India in 1980. Mm-hmm. And my dad came here to do his PhD in metallurgical engineering. Oh, <laughs> that's wow. his, that's wow. his field, right? Yeah. And he went to IIT Madras in India for his undergrad. And then after that, I think a lot at that time in the 70s, the late 70s, a lot of IIT grads were coming to the U.S. to pursue further education. But more importantly for my mom and my dad, they wanted their future children to have better opportunity, which is why Mm -hmm. I think a lot of Indians immigrate here and a lot of immigrants in general come here is for the opportunity that you have in the U.S. And so they left everything they knew. They came here. You know, and I talk to my parents often about what it was like when they were here. You know, my parents lived off of $400 a month that paid for their entire life. Yeah. And that was what my dad earned being like a teaching assistant as a grad student at the Colorado School of Mines. That's where he went for his PhD. And my mom, she didn't have health insurance. They were like one health issue away from there being yeah major financial catastrophe. Thankfully, you know, that didn't happen, but she would contribute to the household by babysitting, you know, so it was like a little bit of extra cash, but even then they just didn't have that much money and they lived in student housing. And so ultimately, spoiler alert, they had me, Um, you know, I'm the firstborn. I have a sister who's also a partner at my company. And so they had me and my mom, when she was raising us, my dad you know, finished his PhD, defended his thesis. And then he went to work at a large fortune. I think it's a fortune 100 company now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe it was a fortune 500 at the time. And then they had my sister and my dad was traveling for work. So he traveled like 40 to 45 weeks out of the year for like 30 years straight. Mm. And he would go all over the world. And my mom was almost like a solo parent. Yeah. She was the default caregiver. I hate to say solo parent because she still had like the emotional and financial support of Of being married and single moms have it way harder, but it was the burden of being the default parent fell to my mom. And, you know, their first generation here, they didn't have Mm. this whole network of family, like her parents, my dad's parents were in India. And so my mom started thinking about how she she's an she's an entrepreneur by blood it is in her blood and so she started thinking about how she could meaningfully contribute mm-hmm. to the household and you know back then they didn't have podcasts there were right. no google searches right. you know so yeah, um, no google there was no internet right no internet uh, back yeah. then no there was this pre-internet where you had to go to the library or you had to meet people yeah. in it was like pre-cell phones too really <laughs> that, that's actually true yeah yeah and so she started learning about real estate investing and at that time banks were willing to give you 
like stated income loans. Mm -hmm. So, and they gave you like 110% of the purchase price. Oh, wait, you mean 2008 was there, right? The, back then, Ninja yeah, Loans before, and all things. It's awesome. Before 2008, oh. yeah. <laughs> and so my parents were looking to buy a house for us to live in. And the bank said, okay, here you can have, I think they gave them like a million or a million and a half right. as their like budget. And my mom wow. called them and is like, and my dad was making like forty-five or $50,000 a year at, a t- at right. that time. So there was not enough to support a million and a half dollar loan. And so my mom calls the mortgage broker and is like, hey, I don't know if maybe like I didn't fill it out clearly or if there was an error in processing this, but I think you meant to say like maybe $150,000 in loan, right? And they were like, no, you can have one and a half to two million. She's like, I don't understand how the math would work here. And they're like, oh, you know, just based on like your investments and your savings and whatever, we just, we know you're going to be really great, which obviously is dangerous. But my mom then asked the question that I think probably was a single turning point for our whole family. And it was, do I have to buy only one house with this? Wow. And they go, no, you can buy whatever you want. She's like, so I can buy like five houses. And they're like, yes. So then my mom took that wow. and went, started buying single family homes. And because my sister and I were, you know, in her care almost all of the time, she would take us with her right. to closings and to like lawyer meetings. And this was pre iPads where it was really boring for kids to be sitting in on these meetings. Right. But, you know, we went and so you actually listened to the conversation because you're I so bored. I don't think I like actively no. listened to it, but I think. May I mean maybe like the osmosis process worked. Oh, I don't right. know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and so yeah, so that's how my family started with real estate investing. My parents came here, you know, like most immigrants, with twenty six dollars in their pocket. And you guys you know, were in Texas then, or where were you? No, I grew up in Chicago. Chicago. So they were in Colorado when they first came, where my dad did right. his PhD. His first job he accepted was in Chicago. So I grew up in an area called Naperville, which right has like a, actually a big Indian population, yeah. you know, because the school districts are good. So that's why my that's parents true. wanted neighborhood. I think there's, there's a different question. The schools become better because the immigrant population true. is there or the immigrant chicken population or the egg. The question. chicken or the yeah. egg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, completely, completely. Well, the, the, uh, this is actually an interesting story, right? Because um, it's kind of like, not the rags to riches, but from struggle to what she was, what she yeah. was able to make. And I think this is the key point here, though, is what you also hone on on and on, which is really the question, right? Yeah. Had your mom trusted her assumption that she can only just buy one I house won. and not ask the question? Because most of folks is like, let me go buy a mansion of $1.5 million. Biggest house right? you could buy. The biggest yeah. house I could buy. Yep. And let me enjoy the life lifestyle I have. But she asked a different question. Can I buy more? Yeah. And if she didn't know the answer could have been no, which right. is perfect. Which is fine, yeah. But at least she validated that assumption. This is amazing. This yeah. is actually... Yeah. I think this is where the key for most of the things that happen in life. And I'm sure you have other stories where if you didn't ask the question, your trajectory mm-hmm. of the life would be very different. Yeah, no, I mean, and actually it's funny because I don't think I ever really thought about it as such a pivotal question until we're talking about this. Yeah. No, that was the pivot point for generations that haven't even been born yet. Yeah. Because what it did was it gave my mom a solid foundation and a way to contribute to the household in a meaningful way. They retired early as millionaires. Yeah. And then 
they gave my sister and I a foundational head start to understand oh, why real estate investments and investing in good money habits at a young age were so important, you know? And so it gave me the foundation to really build my company now. And, you know, if you look back just to my grandfather's generation, right? Like my dad's dad, he didn't even graduate from college. He didn't have that opportunity. You know, my great grandfather passed away when my grandfather was very young and he was the oldest of many siblings. And he was the oldest son and had to step up and get married and go and provide for his brothers and sisters and his mom. And I just think that that's one thing I think is so incredible about immigrants, right? Is like, nobody loves America more than an immigrant because like you give up everything, you know, just for an opportunity to be in another country and establish a life in another country. And that's incredible to me. No, I agree. I'm a first generation, right? So I think there's somebody asked me the other day, why did you move? I'm like, I wish I didn't, but yeah. I'm glad I did, right? Kind yeah. of like nobody wants to leave the country that you grew no, up on, especially if the country is stable and your upbringing is okay. You don't need to. Now, there are yeah. certain countries where people would like to move from sure, because it's not safe. That's a different question. India That's a different kind of immigration. Yeah, it's yeah. a very different kind of immigration. Yeah. We're talking about if you had the choice, would you do yeah. that? I think it's really about the opportunity and that I think that's really where, you know, the, one of the premise for me to start the podcast is that premise that we came here to make a better life. And yeah. I don't think most of us reflect, pause and reflect back, do we have a better life? And you know what? We never ask that question that That's what true. is better life? Is it just money? Right. Is it time with your family? Like in your case, your, your dad, he was traveling. I'm sure he was making good money by the time he yeah. started to get in the companies and all that stuff, but he was gone 45 weeks out of 52. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a lot of time away from the family. Is it really good life? Maybe his answer was yes. Maybe his answer was no. But I actually don't think he would have had the opportunity at that time to ask that question. But now we do. Right. We're in a very different world. We're not in that world where you have to physically be traveling. We're sitting in Zoom sessions, having podcasts and recording stuff and working. Right. So what is what does that mean for you? Like good life. So for me, I very much am intentional with how I build like my whole life around me. Um, And so for me, it's, I actually don't care about money as much as I care about time. Like that's the ultimate goal for me is to be able to control all of my time, all of my family's time, everything, and not worry about having to like decrease the lifestyle. Right. So, I mean, I can say absolutely without a doubt that yes, it is a better life at least let me put it this way. We've taken advantage of the opportunity that we were given. And who knows, like maybe if we were still in, if we grew up in India, maybe we would have had a different opportunity or done something different there. But I will say we've taken full advantage of everything that this opportunity has to offer. And we still are growing and continuing to do so. So what I mean by that is I bought the house down the street from me. It's a 10 minute walk. I bought that house for my parents in 2015. And, and, you know, it's a little self-serving too, because I was like, okay, I have like childcare. Yeah, I didn't of have course. kids at the time. <laughs> I didn't have course. kids at the time. So it was like forward thinking, but I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll have childcare. I can lock them in before my sister locks them in. You I know, love like, the strategic <laughs> thinking there, Vina. That's amazing. I feel like it was like the long game for me. And then I was like, okay, you know, like I can have food made whenever I want. My mom yeah. was the next cook. And so 
I bought that house in 2015. Far enough to not be in your house every day, every minute. That's the other thing. Is close I'm enough? Like, close enough that house. I see them every yeah, day, but perfect. far enough that I can be like, "Mom, you're on my last nerve. Please go home. Go away." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's more likely the other way around, though, where she's like, "Be nice." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just last year, I the house across the street from my parents' house came up for sale in like the middle of the hottest market that we've ever had. Yeah. And I bought that house too. And now my in-laws live there. That's amazing. Yeah. So because for me, I grew up here in the US. So, and I have one living grandparent still. I lost my grandfather just a couple of years ago. And then my dad's parents, they passed away when I was much younger. I was in my teens, but I didn't have the opportunity to see my grandparents as much as you know, my kids do now. And like, for me, that's the biggest gift I can give my children. It's not even for my parents, but it's for my children is the ability to see their grandparents every single day for their young formative years and hopefully well into Mm -hmm. their adulthood. But, you know, I don't know how much time my parents or my in-laws have left here and I get to maximize that time with them. And so it's helped me in many ways, not just personally, but like professionally too, because I don't, I feel guilty when I have to leave my kids and I'm, you know, I travel. I also travel a lot for work, yeah. but I feel a lot less guilty when my kids are like sleeping over at their, you know, they call Mama and yeah. Nama, and when they're sleeping over at grandparents' houses versus, you know, just someone watching them. Or my husband's now working more, mostly part time because he just doesn't have to work that hard because yeah. I help alleviate some of that burden for him. And so he's dropped a lot of the things he just doesn't enjoy or doesn't want to do. And he works by his own rules. So for me, that, that's that is, taking advantage. I, I think that's actually, I think you you hit the nail on the head there, right? I think what you're, yep. and I'll put words in your mouth. So yeah. You tell me if I'm, you tell me <laughs> I'll tell if you I'm if you're wrong. Right. <laughs> uh, yes, please tell me if I'm wrong. I think what we're talking about here is you, you, you use the le- you use the money to create leverage in your life. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, 100%. Otherwise, otherwise, yep. now you could have, and you probably do, and you should. There's nothing wrong in that. You may want to become a billionaire one day, and maybe you already are. Who knows, right? But let's I'm just not. Say, I am not a billionaire today. Well, that's fine. That's fine. There's nothing yeah. wrong in being one or not being one. I think, but the, sure. the key goal is not about the number here, right? No. The key goal here is what do you do with that money? Right. right? If you're working hard and continuously, they're single focused on money. That's the only dimension you're focused on. Right. The other dimensions in the life that are missing yeah. out on. Right. Like, I think that's where yes. the, the premise for the show was that. That yeah. look, as an immigrant, you chances are if um, you're you're making good money, mm-hmm. that money is not going to be the problem. Right. That you're, right. you now you're you're so you just don't know how to and create the leverage in your life because the only way you know how to create leverage is nine to five work. Absolutely. Active involvement in the work. So the premise of the show is okay, what can we do? What how can I share my story and share stories like yours where yeah. you have you were able to create leverage through money? Mm-hmm. And that leverage bought to you what you talked in your time is time. Yes. And now yep. how you choose to spend your time is completely your choice, right? Yes. And it gave your husband the choice of time. Yeah. It gave your in-laws and your parents the choice of living with you and spending time mm-hmm. with the kids. And it's all about the time. It's actually not exactly. about the money. right? No, money is just a tool. It's a commodity. I don't care if I have a hundred billion dollars. Yeah. That doesn't get me what I want. What I want is to have my time. And, you know, I'll also say this, it wouldn't be fun for me if, you know, my husband and my kids and I are going on like 
vacation and enjoying our lives if my parents and my in-laws come with us, right? And so for me, I really prioritize that. So every few months, we do like a family vacation where everybody, all of us, Mm -hmm. will go somewhere for like a week. And, you know, we can thankfully now afford to do that. We've we have our investments, we have our job, but like what I've set up at my company is that I can work from anywhere in the world. I don't need right. to be in, you know, Frisco, Texas to work. I can right. be anywhere in the world. And right. that's what I really cherish and covet more than anything. I protect that above all else. I think this is great. Thank you, Rina, for yeah. articulating it the way you did. Now let's yeah. let's let's take things forward. Okay. So of course you got the real estate from blood, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So, but you also have a choice. To pick yeah. a different asset class, right? Yeah. So why are you still in real estate? What's causing you to stay in there? I understand well, why you started it. Yeah. Because the, you got a head start for your mom. Yeah. Um, well, actually, the way I really, truly started was, yes, I was exposed to it. And then, you know, like I said, I went and worked in corporate America. And then the first year my husband and I were married, I paid taxes. Oh. And I was, we were both W-2s. And yeah. I called my mom and I was like, mom, we just paid like multiple six figures in taxes because we were making a lot as W-2 earners and it's not very tax efficient. And she said to me when she said, okay, well, you need to quit your job and start an investment company and invest in real estate for yourself. And I was like, okay. And that was really like a turning point, right? I guess that was the second pivot question is, why did I pay so much why in taxes, I, mom? It's kind of like, funny. Like I want to harp on that point for a second because there is, I was talking to one of my close friends. I'll call them that for now. Calling my cold friend, uh, close friend, they sold a business for, they bank about $20 million. Right. right okay. They sold the business. I'm like, so what are you going to do for taxes? He's like, you know, it's a great problem. I made money. Let me pay taxes. No. I think it's, I'm not saying, I'm not passing a judgment, yes or no, right? I'm just kind of thinking is that. I'm saying it, no. He he assumed, in his case, he assumed, like your mom could have, like you could have, like I could have. We asked the question, we asked the question that why is this the right path? Yes. Right? And then until, it could have been the only path. Yeah, it might be. It might be, because uh, in this case, in our case, the tax laws were written in favor of real estate. Right. And you picked up the real estate, right. you had a tax problem and the solution was available. Right. Thank like you. in this case, he didn't even ask the question. So I was asking him like, why is it a good thing? It's $20 million. That's a lot of money to pay taxes on. You yeah. know what you could do with that money? He's like, no, man, I just want to keep it simple. I just want to pay taxes and I just want to move on. I just want to enjoy mm. my life. Right. Okay. How am I? Okay. Well, it's fine. I yeah. expect that. But yeah, I would sure. love to ask the question from you, right? Why did you have to pause? Like, what was the pain that the money caused? Because I'm assuming this was not the only year you paid taxes. You no, paid taxes before. So what was the trigger had, point? It was the most I had paid. And it became this question of, see, when you're a W-2, you're trading time for money, right? Like that's the exchange of value that yeah. happens, which is fine. And it's great. And it works for many people. And there's no... You know, there's nothing wrong with working hard and making good money or making mm-hmm. an income that's stable, right? But it became this thing where I was like, we're both trading our time. So we're not even getting the end goal of what I think money is used for. Correct. Correct. And then I have to give half of it away. And I just don't really love that. 
And so I love that thinking. I love that thinking, yeah. right? Because I just quit my W2 last December. So I was the same. It was a tax problem. It was really right. a tax problem that I was finding a solution for. Exactly. And congratulations, by the way. It's a big well, day you. when you get to do thank that. You. Yeah. But it's, you know, this is the thing like the really wealthy people in this country, they don't, it's not about, they, we all kind of live by the same mantra, right? It's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. Right. 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 If I have to go out and trade more time, to make 40% more just mm-hmm. so that I am not going to have a huge tax penalty, that hardly seems worth it to me. Yeah. But with real estate, the tax code is set up to reward real estate investors and business owners. Yeah. It is not yeah. set up to reward W-2 earners, even though ironically, W-2 earners are the backbone right. of our businesses. Correct. But at the same right. time, we need to have people who realize that this is an opportunity and especially within our communities. Correct. No, I completely agree. I think I would say the immigrant population is very successful in general, right? I mean, America is a land of immigrants, um, but we'll talk specifically about Indian immigrants because both of us have same backgrounds. Yep. That, that, that diaspora of folks are amazingly successful, right? But unfortunately, unfortunately, um, you see great examples, but majority of us are in W2. Yeah. Either working for techs or for Fortune 500s or something, or doctor, engineer, yeah, doctor, engineer, lawyer, and all of them are essentially in high tax brackets, right? Yeah, and you know, I think that's interesting, and I love this topic because I, you know, my husband and I talk about this a lot, especially Mm -hmm. because now we have kids, and you know, as parents, you have these dreams for what your kids are going to do, right? And my sister and I are like the least educated of our whole family because we only got bachelor's degrees and mine wasn't even in engineering or healthcare. Like I was finance. So I was like really the black sheep. Oh, wow. You are the black sheep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it now. They're very proud of you now. Yes. We joke about it now, but I am the only one. My sister and I are the only ones that don't have a master's or a doctorate level degree. And I think that that's contributed to a lot of the you know, we're the wealthiest minority group in the U.S., Indians, right. Right? right? And a lot of that success is directly correlated to education level. Definitely. Although Nigerians are more educated than we are. Just I did not know that. Yes, okay. The only, only wow. minority group that's more educated than we are is hmm. Nigerians because they have more that I think like 69% of Nigerians hold bachelor's degree or sorry, master's degrees wow. um, okay. in the U.S. Good so yeah, just a fun fact. Yeah. So you know, I talked to my husband about this a lot and he's a physician and, you know, it was a safe route for him. And that's the thing is when our parents' generation or when your generation comes over here, a lot of it is because of the educational foundation that we have. Right. And so it's hard not to put so much emphasis on education and studying and good grades and that being the direct tie to success because it it's proven that education can break poverty mm-hmm. cycles. Mm-hmm. The problem is it then starts stifling the ability to think like an entrepreneur. Right. And it that takes a different kind of skill set that you know my mom always had in her. So she was able to inadvertently or purposefully, I don't know, but instill that yeah. in my sister and I both. And when I talk about my kids, you know, my husband, like he's still a doctor. So he wants them to do well in school and maybe go to medical school or whatever. And I'm like, listen, medical school is one option. And if they decide that they cannot be happy doing anything else, I will support them till the end of the earth doing that. They should go and do that. 
but medical school isn't what it was 30, 40 years ago, right? Yeah. Now you they're cutting doctor salaries and reimbursements, right? I mean, it was it's, a great model of the FIFA service. It's no longer there, right? The private exactly. practices are going down. Exactly. It's becoming a corporate, it's becoming a W-2. It is. It really is. Just being in another high paying job. And so I'm like, yes, okay, you do make good money, but like you're on call on Christmas. You have to see horrible things. You have the stress of if somebody dies on your operating Mm -hmm. table, like that's not fun for anybody. So there's like an emotional burden you take on. And then my husband does some OB cases. And so his OB cases, like for 18 years, he has to worry about his malpractice being right. covered. Right. And, you know, there's just all these pain points. And then let's like not even discuss the student loan debt that you yeah. come out of school with. Let's talk about like the amount of stress just starting out, right? Like when you're a mm-hmm. resident getting yeah. matching into residency and you're starting 10 years behind your peers and you're right. theoretically one of the smartest of your peers because you got into med right. school in the first place. Right, correct. And so I always tell my husband, I'm like, well, like, I, don't, I don't really know if I want them to be doctors. Exactly. I think it's interesting you say that. I think it's really, it really begs to the question. Right? Again, there's always a question behind everything. We yeah. do, right? I think what question are you trying to answer? Are you trying to answer the question, how can I make them a doctor? And that's it. That's your question. Or the yeah. question is, or why? really the question is, why do they want to become a doctor? Right. Why should they become a doctor? That's now, exactly most folks in our at least from your parents mm-hmm. and even when I came here were looking for medical school as a quick way to get to the top of the food chain financially. Yep. Yep. Which makes that sense. That was a goal, which makes sense. And that was a goal that's perfect. Yeah. But right. now it's changing. Yeah. Right? I mean, a Google and a Facebook, and there's way more millionaires right. and billionaires have been created in tech than a doctor. Right? Yeah, it's entrepreneurship in general. Entrepreneurship in general, and, right? So, but now if the kid loves to help people, great. That's really that's their passion. Calling. They want that's a calling. That's a calling. I think go it's a that. very different thing. Yes. You gotta go that's do that. Different. You gotta struggle. And because not a struggle at that point, it's actually fun. It's fulfilling them. It's fulfilling, fulfilling their like duty, right? Correct. And so go be great at that. I will support you till the ends of the earth. Greatly. At, in whatever they decide to do. But I just you know, I worry about because my, you know, my father-in-law is a doctor. You know, he panicked when my husband said he didn't want to be a surgeon. Like that was the end all to be honest. Right, right, right. This is like the, um, it's just, it's part of the mentality that's been ingrained in us for many, 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 many generations. And especially being like the first, second, third generation here in this country, because that's been the ticket to stability. Of course. Of course. But my kids, I this is what I tell my husband. I say, like, honey, I love that you want them to be, you know, successful. I want that too. But I don't see it where this is the only path to success anymore. Correct. Correct. Right. Correct. And Correct. what I've worked so hard for is just like my parents worked hard for the opportunity for my sister and I, and they sacrificed the most of any mm-hmm. of the generations, right? What I sacrifice for, and the reason I work this hard is because I want my kids to have enough of a safety net that they can do anything. They can exactly. go and they can fail forward. They can make mistakes. They can start a business and have it like go under and then start it right back up again, right? Like yeah. that's the kind of resiliency that I'm trying to provide is that safety net for them. Correct. So let's talk on um, this conversation is turning points. I love this conversation, <laughs> right? Because it's actually real. Uh, yeah, I love it too. I have a seven or nine year old. We're all asking these same questions, right? Because yeah. there's no right answer, right? No. Now, I think it's how do you shift that perspective for a child? 
right? Because they're surrounded by other folks. Yeah. Like you go, you yes. go to school, you, of course you want to send them to the best schools that you can. Yes. Which we and do. What, is, <laughs> we do which, that. What, what does that, what does that really mean? A best school would mean there's going to be graded yeah. against their peers, which essentially means they're going to have to be competing in the world. Right. That we're trying to give them a different thinking. Right. Yeah. So now how do you make sure the kid doesn't turn out messed up? Right. That at oh, home well, they're hearing. I don't, <laughs> I don't have that answer. I don't know if they're going to say it by me. I don't know. That's because the thing about the, It's a push and pull, right? It's a push and pull. Right. They're getting a different message in the outside world. Yeah. That we have put them in. Right. And then they're hearing a very different message inside, inside the house. Sure. And so one of the things we talk about in our household, even now from the time they were able to like even hear us talking and look at us while we're talking, right? So like maybe a year old, we talk about investments. We talk about business. I take them to the bank. I don't hide things that are like adult conversations from that. So I'm not like, oh, you know, we have this expense coming up. Where do we want to pull it from? Or, hey, we want to finance this car. I actually, I took them to the last uh, car I bought at the dealership. I took them with me. And I'm like filling out the paperwork and I I let them watch me and I talk to them and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, here's what we're going to put in for income. I don't hide that from them. Yeah. Now that might change as I get older. I don't know. But right for right now, I don't because I want them to be yeah. comfortable talking about money. I want them to be comfortable thinking about investments. I want them to be comfortable thinking about businesses. Right. And so I don't hand them anything. I, you know, whenever they're like, oh, can yeah. we go to the restaurant? I'm like, sure. Do you have any money? And they go, no, I'm like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for it? Right. And it's not because I think they're actually going to be able to pay for their food, but I want them to start thinking thinking. of how to get the thing that they want. Of course. And so I'm like, okay, you have to work hard. What can we do? Can we start a business? So I, they, you know, the proud entrepreneur, entrepreneur in me, they started, they had a business last year, which was a lemonade stand. Yeah. And, you know, I took them to Walmart and I was like, okay, what do you need for a lemonade stand? And we talked through it and I was like, okay, well, we're at the register. Do you have any money? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, how are you going to pay for all this stuff? And they were like, "Uh, mama, can I have some money? And I'm like, are you asking for an investment? I'm I'm willing to fund you, but you're going to have to pay me this money back. And I'm going to need some kind of interest on this money. How much are you going to pay me back? Right. so my my three year olds are like, um, they needed twenty five dollars, and I was like, okay, how much are you gonna pay me back? And they're like, mm, five monies. So I was like, <laughs> okay, you're gonna give me five dollars or five percent because these are like two very yeah, different numbers for the return right. on my investment. And you know, obviously, they don't understand what that means, but you know, we were talking yeah. through it. I think that I think that's the key thing, right? I think oh. most folks at home don't talk about money. Yep. No, Money's they a don't. Taboo. It's so Money's taboo. A big taboo. Yes. I remember when we were going through estate planning. Yeah. And I think one of my friends was talking about is like, why do you have kids around you when you're talking about estate plan? I'm like, what do you mean? I should know. I'm like, why are you telling them that this is how you're structuring it? This is when they're going to get it. I'm like, first of all, they're not going to make any sense, anyways, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Second of all, if I don't tell them that this is real, right. who's going to tell them? Exactly. Right? That's exactly it. And no one else is going to have, and they're going to turn 40, 50, 60 year olds. And they're going to say, I don't, I don't know. I don't, anything about money. I don't understand money. I don't understand life. I'm like, I came here when I was 22. I didn't understand money at all. Yeah. Credit. Uh, yeah, these are I have all... no idea how this world works, right? This part of the world. Yeah. I knew how the, how India worked. India I fit very yeah. well in there, but right. I didn't know anything. So 
I didn't want them to become, I want to make sure that, and I think I'm sure your parents and you doing for your kids is you want to give them a foundation, which is higher than what foundation you have. Exactly. You don't want to give them a lower foundation. I want to give them the better, the better foundation foundation so that they can, they have a better start. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's exactly it. So yeah. So we did this lemonade stand, you know, I helped them price it out. Mm -hmm. They wanted to charge $5 for a glass of store-bought lemonade. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I was like, hey, let's talk about <laughs> supply and demand yeah. a little bit. Um, well, maybe, maybe there's this love in there. Who knows? I, I mean, well, the good news is, is they have four grandparents in the neighborhood. So they had a pretty, pretty ready, willing, yeah. yeah, data database of clients yeah. to uh, overpay for lemonade. And, you know, they made their money and then they gave me my loan back with my interest. That's um, awesome. Yeah. And then they, we went to the bank and I gave them cash to like take to the bank and actually like hold and they filled out their deposit slips. I mean, it was just a bunch of scribbles, but you know, I taught them how to fill out the deposit slip. And then the problem is now when I'm like, okay, you want to go to the restaurant? Do you have any money? And they'll go, yeah. I'm like, where's your money? I get some loan. They're like, it's in the bank. No, they're like, it's in the bank. (laughs) They deposited it. They remember that it's there. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's a good yeah, thing. I'm like, we invested that money, girls. Like yeah. you they have stock portfolios. Um, so right. what I do for them is anytime they get like birthday gifts or you know, their grandparents, great grandparents, anybody gives them like cash, mm-hmm. like when they first see them, they'll give them money, right? Yeah. So I'll take that money and then I just deposit it into they have stock portfolio. Yeah. And every month I put money in there for them and that's continuing to grow. And then Perfect. obviously their Roths get funded every yeah. year. So but yeah, we don't shy away from the money talk in our house. You shouldn't, right? Yeah, I think I think that is why America is where it is, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. When we say the average savings account has like two thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars or whatever that is. Yeah. The reason is not that people are not capable. It's because we don't have the financial foundation. Yeah. Right. And that's really because it's like, I'm, I don't know if you ever faced it or not. I didn't realize, I distinctly remember when the first time I went back from US to India. Yeah. Was it the family? Yeah. The first question I got, not how are you? How are you? So how much you make? I'm like, really? I'm like, what do you mean? Right. So they're like, yeah, how much you're making? I'm like, are you asking me, am I, am I able to survive? Or are you actually asking a number? Like a dollar amount. Yeah. A dollar amount. Like how much do you make? And it was an interesting, yeah, I did tell them that because it was an interesting observation though, because I had forgotten that everyone in our family knew the number for everyone else. Always. That's how we grew up. That's how we grew up. Right. Even amongst our friends, the salaries were discussed every year. It was normal conversation. Once I came here, I got used to something very different because you don't even discuss with your spouses sometimes. No. It's scary, but people <laughs> don't, right? And like now you're going back. I think the reason for that openness in that culture is also because you get the money talk out. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. But you don't have a wall. You don't have a facade yeah. that you need to carry now. Yeah. Over here, you may be living in debt in and have debt. a beautiful yeah. life, but you only be making... 100k a year or 50k yeah. a year, right? Yeah. So that conversation, because you're always thinking about your relationship with money is not that healthy here, unfortunately. Right. Which I think is the no, biggest true. challenge. It's the biggest challenge. I think what you're doing with your kids, what we're trying to do with our kids is really giving them a healthy relationship. Normalizing it. Yep. Normalizing it. Because yep. money is just money. It's not an all be all. It's not scary. It's uh, a tool. It's, it's like a hammer. Tool. It performs a job and a function. Yeah. 
So Vina, I know, I know we have been we're short on time, yeah. but this conversation is amazing. I do want to circle back to real estate because, okay, yes. um, Let's go back because to I, know, I know there's, <laughs> that's what you do right now. So help yes. us understand what is your focus right now? I know you started, your mom at least started with homes, single yes. family homes. Yes. And I know you are doing bigger deals. You actually bought a deal right in my neighborhood here, uh, which I don't even know. So yes. uh, we got to talk about that offline. So help us understand what are you doing? What are you seeing? Where do you see the trends happening in real estate? Yeah. Right now? So for the last like five or so years, we've focused on really large multifamily assets. And by large, I mean 200 doors and up. Before that, we would buy stuff that was like maybe like 150, 100. Mm-hmm. But we really, we tried 200 and up and really focus on three to 400 or 500 doors at a time. So we've scaled up even just internally in the last And when you say years. we, it's just you and your sister, right? Yeah. Got it. Just my sister and I. And so we focus on class B value add multifamily assets. It, our current buy box as it stands today is 200 plus units and $75 million are up per mm-hmm. asset. Obviously, we'll look at things that might be slightly outside of that if there's a yeah. good reason to, but that's generally where our focus is. And we're, we're really, what I wanted to do, I started in single family actually, because mm-hmm. that's what I knew. It's what I thought yeah. was the best way to do it. But what we I did was there was a week, <laughs> this was another pivot moment for me, right? There was a week where I bought five houses in one week. Oof. And I was like, oh my gosh. I, I can only imagine the amount of loan paperwork for those five homes. The loan oh. paperwork, dealing oh. with contractors, yeah. dealing with getting it rented out. I was just like, this is the worst thing. And I never want to do this again. There has to be a better way. And yeah. I had the misconception mm-hmm. that multifamily was just for like- Just for rich people. The Oprah's of the world. Yeah, yeah I didn't of course. Think, like the Jeff Bezos of the world. I didn't think yeah, it was yeah, yeah. people like us. And- So then I started figuring out how can I get to scale faster? Mm -hmm. And that's where it commercial was really the right answer. But then the question is, do I want to be in like office or industrial? And what I love about multifamily is there's still that human component to it. And people always need a place to live, even in bad markets, good markets. It doesn't matter. There always are going to be tenants for those assets. And so I really loved the asset class, you know, bought my first deal here in Dallas it was actually just under 200 units. Back then, you could buy you could buy it for 15.9 million. Oh my god! Um, yeah. yeah, and then we sold it for 24 million, like three years later, right. three years and three months later, and it was like, oh, I could. That's get a lot of money. That's good money, right? Yeah, 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 yeah I could do this. Yeah. <laughs> and so we started doing that more and more, and then really, what we did was we said, okay, we've gone from the single family scale to the multifamily scale. How do we scale further within this niche? And yeah. so that's why today we look at 75 million and up. So a $15 million deal wouldn't even come across our desk for underwriting, right. but an $80 million or $100 million deal would, which, I mean, I don't think I ever thought I would be in that I position know, in my wildest like, dreams. It's kind of interesting you say that. I got a call this morning from somebody just heard me on a podcast. They're like, hey, can you can I talk to you? I'm like, that's sure. Yeah. We're having a conversation. They're like, yeah. I'm like, so what kind of, what are, what are you looking to buy? He's like, I really think I want to buy seven to 10 unit homes and single family, multifamilies, and they're going to be great at it. I'm like, okay, tell me why, right? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, why seven? Why not 50? Why yeah. not 100? Why not 200? Why not 300? How did you come up with yeah. the number seven, right? And yeah. it all came down to what you just talked about is really, I didn't think I could buy it. Yeah. Like, no one like, thinks I, it's I'm possible until it's done. Yeah, nobody yeah. thinks it's possible until it's done. Yeah, I think those are, so I think what I was going to go with that is that 
How did you get to know it can be done? I didn't. (laughs) I really didn't. Like, okay, so I knew about real estate investing because I had my mom to kind of be that example. But like, how did you buy that first 15? Where did you get the courage to buy $15 million deal? If I may ask that question. I, think I had it. I cried myself to sleep every day for like six weeks straight while we were in the close process. So I don't think I had the courage necessarily. Here's <laughs> here's what it was, right? My mindset around money was very simple. It is a tool. Yeah. And the younger you are, you have more time. So you get right. to take more risks. More risks. So yeah. I remember I was like crying myself to sleep because I thought I had just put like our family into financial ruin temporarily at least. And I remember telling my husband, like, we have to sell everything we own so I can make sure we close this deal. Mm-hmm. And he was like, uh, okay, you sound like a crazy person. You know, he's a physician. He has no interest in this whatsoever. Right. Let me go save lives. Yeah, um. right. Exactly. Like he's doing, you know, the important things of the yeah. world. And so I'm over here, like, we have to sell everything we own and we might lose it. But I was like, I was in my twenties and my mid twenties yeah. at the time. And I was like, look, we can, we'll do this. And if we lose it all, we'll just build it back up. I have time. I have plenty of time before we're retired. I'll just build it back up. And I'm not afraid of hard work. So let's go do this. And so for me, it was, okay, the biggest risk here is if I do it, maybe we lose everything. Yeah. Okay. That's one outcome. What's the risk if I don't do it? Yeah. Right. That's the question. That's the pivoting question there, right? right? Is the risk if I didn't do it, is I maybe would never do them. I might have waited longer. I might not have done the deals that I have done today. I might not have been as successful as I am at this moment in time, which won't let me do the next thing that I want to do. It's kind of interesting, right? I think the, if I may distill what you just said, I think it's really the difference between most people ask, why should I do it? Yeah. Right. I think if you just add the the word now, why should I not do it? Yes. Right. What is preventing me from doing it? Right. Or what is at risk? What's the opportunity cost? Your brain starts to function differently. It's kind of of crazy. I remember the first time somebody told me, ask a different, reframe the question. I'm like, you're just playing with my mind. How can your mind work differently Mm -hmm. when you ask a different question? I'm like, it's actually true. There's research behind it that when you, the the brain's going to give you the answer you're looking for yes if you're no, looking for true. why should i do it that's going to give you like what, what are the fears right and why mindset you should not so important. mindset i think it's the most important part right what i think i keep telling folks through even through this podcast and my personal connections forget about the mechanics don't worry no. about how you're going to do it worry, Just worry about, about showing up to do it showing up to do it things will happen yes crap's going to hit the fan yeah, maybe. And that's okay if it does chances. But if you didn't try it, you'll never you know. You won't even know. You'll never right? know. Yeah. Yep. And that that's the question I always ask myself is not why should I do something? It's what happens if I don't do it? Yeah. No, I right? love that question. I actually love that question because that's the pivotal question in your mom's yeah. case, in your case, yeah. in everyone's success journey. It's, there was a question they asked, which most people don't ask. Yeah. which is And everyone's question. staring at the same question. Yep. It's not like the question is question is out of the blue. Everyone's aware of that question. They just don't ask that question. So we yep. know we are, I could talk to you forever. This is, this is yeah. great conversation. Right? Um, it's, it's amazing, but I do want to respect your time. So yes, we're coming yes. towards the end of the show. Yes. What I want to ask is to be, we always end with two questions. Okay. The first question really is, which may sound cliche, but it's very important. 
is really what would you tell your 20 year old self going back yeah. to the 20 year old you were when you bought your mm-hmm. first your 20s when you were yeah. bought your first deal let me add some more context to it okay not to be successful in life but the 20 year old self so they look at migration in life or they consider that more intentional and more inviting. Oh, okay. That's a good plot twist. Okay. So I think, you know, we kind of covered it just in the last few minutes is mindset is really important. And I, even until my thirties, even recent until recently, I never realized how important, like you always hear the average of the five people you hang out with the most, but I never realized truly like how important it is because mindset can shift so dynamically based on that. And, you know, in my twenties, the people that I was hanging out with the most, they didn't have the same goals as the right. friends I hang out with today. Right. Yeah. And I'll give you a great example. In my twenties, it was like, okay, like we want to travel, like, let's find like some budget trip to go yeah. on that we can get the cheapest flight. We don't care if we spend like a day at a layover in right. an airport in the middle of nowhere. Right. And that was like a normalized conversation mm-hmm. with my friends at that point in my life today. I'm like in this text group with very successful entrepreneurs and I'm like embarrassed when I'm telling them that I'm flying first class somewhere because they're all in (laughs) private. private. Yeah, of course. Right. Like I'm the poor friend. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, I, I had a tax issue that I needed to solve. And I needed to potentially buy an asset before the end of the year. And so I put it in this text group because I'm like, okay, these people maybe will know we'd looked at maybe buying you know, like a plane mm-hmm. to help offset, of not as a business investment, not yeah, as yeah. a plan, right? And so I like post in there and I'm like, hey, do you guys know where like, where do you even like start looking for yeah. planes? Like what, what, I don't know. Is there like a planes.com that we can go to or something? <laughs> and then all of them started responding back. They're like, oh, good luck. I'm looking for my second plane and I'm having a lot of trouble finding it. Or mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, offloading one of my planes, I'll let you know if I do, maybe you can buy that from me. And I remember getting that series of texts and I was like, I'm in a text group with some really powerful individuals right right now where having a plane is like still like the bottom level, right? I know know what you mean. A fleet of planes is different. And so for me, it's just like, wow, this is possible. They're you know, they work just as hard as I'm willing to work. Mm-hmm. They're just as smart as I am. There's no reason why this can't be me. And we all support each other and we help each other. And we don't ridicule each other for these like crazy wild dreams, whatever right. they might be. Right. And so to be in that kind of environment is something that I underestimated early in life that I yeah. wish I could go back and like reset knowing what I know now. Yeah. I think, you know, I'll just extend to that. Right? Most people think rich people are bad. Or most people, without even having an encountering one, they've yeah. built that perception. Or the second thing is that group that you're in right now. Yeah. Most people would think it's intimidating. I don't want to join that group because it is intimidating. I don't want to do that. It, <laughs> it is, is intimidating. But I think what you're trying to do is you're not trying to have your intimidation stop you. No. You're using that as better. an inspiration. It's it makes using me that like, better. I am it's not better. there yet. I'm going to continue growing Until because I, I want to continue growing. Period. Yeah. There's no reason for that. Absolutely. You don't have to have a reason. You want to continue Absolutely. 
Yeah. And you know, money is a magnifier, right? It doesn't make someone a bad person. It takes whatever inherent qualities you have and just magnifies them. If you're a crappy person, it's going to make you more crappy. It's just going to make you a bad person with a lot of money. But if you're already inherently like a good person, it's just going to make you able to do more good things in the world. Completely agree. Completely agree. Love that answer. Second question. Last question is... If you reflect back, right, kind of like reflect back, take a seat back, step back, and then reflect on where should humanity migrate to it? Oh, that's like a very intense question. Okay. So I firmly believe, and what I've set out to do is leave the world a better place than I found it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's many things that humanity can probably work on, but I think one of the big ones that we listening to this and like having this conversation can do today that will be very impactful is focusing on having diversity at the top levels, not just in an organization, but Mm -hmm. in the and above. It's something I'm very passionate about, especially because I'm in a white male dominated industry, which fine. And, you know, those voices are also important, but we also need to see more women and minorities at the top levels and transacting at the size of deals that I'm transacting on because I have two daughters. You have two daughters. Mm -hmm. We our daughters deserve to grow up seeing people that are doing what they can do, because once you see it done, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Right. And so if I'm going to be the first, I cannot be the last. Correct. Right. And so that's why I say that it's very important that we focus on diversity of thought, diversity of leadership in the boardroom. There should be women, there should be minorities, there should be all underrepresented communities should be more represented in boardrooms. And I think that that's going to have a trickle down effect, too, on other, you know, of the world's problems. That of, need course. To be of course, of course. No, I, I love that answer, because I think I firmly believe that that unless people can relate to you, they think the ceiling is true. The glass ceiling is true. Yeah. There's actually no glass ceiling. Like we were having a conversation with a bunch of friends. They're like, I need to get an MBA because until I get an MBA, I won't get promoted. Right. I'm like, I actually don't think that's true. I think getting a degree like an MBA degree specifically changes who, how you think. And because your thought changed, because your thought pattern changed, you feel like you belong there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you now feel like you can talk that language. And in your point, right, if if they're not seeing women and minority at the top positions, they don't think it's possible. Their mindset is it's never possible. Mm-hmm. How do we shift their mindset? Either by example. By example, yeah. Someone, someone has to break that ceiling to show them it's possible. Exactly. Right? And it's not possible once. It's possible multiple times. Over and over. Yep. I should love that answer. You know, on that point, I am pretty sure my listeners would love to connect with you. Where can they find you? Yes. So part of my next phase of my career goals is really impact. So like I said, if I'm going to be the first, I don't want to be the last. But more importantly, I want to help other people do something that has completely changed my family. Mm -hmm. And so with that, I've started a Facebook community. It's totally free to join. It's called Mastering Multifamily with Dina Jetty. You know, we do like free Zoom calls. I put a lot of content, like my Mm -hmm. whole heart goes into that community. And it's, if you ask me, it's the best space on the internet, but it's not because of me. It's because of the community that's there and like the relationships that are built, you know, investors hang out there and GPs and future partners and like lawyers and accountants, like everybody hangs out there. It's a safe space for everybody to come hang out. So it's Mastering Multifamily with Dina Jetty. And then you can find me on social media where I do a lot more like mechanical content, Mm -hmm. technical content, just as Vina Jetty on 
Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and all the social media. Yeah. So I'm just much Eddie. Awesome. We, we are, thank you again. I'm going to have to bring you back on, on the show. I would love to. There's I love so many topic. unanswered questions. So, but I really thank you for being open, you. for showing your true self. I really appreciate it. Thank you I again. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Ivina, thank you again. I think this is this is one of the best episodes we've had. So I love I this. I'm this. very passionate about this topic. I, I, love I could see it. And so, so am I. I'm like, there's a very yeah. few people you can have deeper conversation like yeah, this. Yeah, totally. Very few. Totally. I appreciate you. Thank you for having yeah, me. Once um, this drop, do you know when this is going to record or drop? Uh, probably in the next week or so. Okay. Once you drop it, you know. can you share it with us? And then my, yeah, my team will send you all the raw footage copy and the uh, copy and everything else. So you'll have that. Perfect. Awesome. That's great. I'll we'll see you at BC. Yes. I'll see you in like a couple awesome. weeks. So I'm judging the pitch slam and then I have like some other meetings sporadically then, but I'm sure we'll get a chance to see We'll get a chance to see Perfect. Yeah, for awesome. sure. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. you Bye-bye. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.